Starling is all about doing something really, really different for consumers and small businesses. We're all about being a new sort of relationship with your bank. We hope we're actually building a bank that you're proud to be associated with. Growing up in Swansea with two hardworking parents, Anne Bowden couldn't have dreamt of the future ahead of her. After going on to study chemistry and computer sciences at Swansea University, Anne made the big move to London to work for Lloyds Bank. Jump forward 35 years, and positions at UBS, RBS, and Abian AMRO, so all the acronyms, and Anne has put herself out there as forward-thinking banker who has spotted huge potential in the world of digital banking. Unable to have her vision realised at Allied Irish Banks as Chief Operating Officer, Anne broke away and developed Starling, an innovative and exciting new way for customers to bank. Out of the shadows of the banking crisis, Anne is a breath of fresh air and giving customers reasons to trust banks again, aren't you, Anne? Of course. Yeah, naturally. (laughs) So an industry-changing revolution seems a long way away from normal Welsh childhood, I would agree. So welcome, Anne. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us to your office today on this very warm day. Uh, How are you doing? Very well. Awesome. Are you ready for a quick fire round just to break the ice? Of course. So people know. Ice breaking. Fine. London or Swansea? London. Ouch. Are you surprised? Yeah, I really am, yeah. Yeah. No one ever does that. What? They're always like, oh, no, definitely you know, small town I came from, just in case I go back there and then they burn me at the stake. No, I love Swansea, but London energises me. I find that every time I drive into London, even now after 30, 40 years of living in London, I'm excited. I love every day up here. Okay, Um, good answer. Place, you know, Swansea's great, but London is where it's all happening for me. It would have been difficult for us to travel to Swansea as well, so partly (laughs) you've done this for us. Working from home or office base? Office. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Uh, you're trapped on a desert island. You can bring three things. We're going to assume your family's there. Your, your banking um, team's there, if okay. you like. Okay, let me think. Definitely my phone. Yep. Definitely my Mac. And what else? And the newspaper. Right, You've do- just chosen a phone, <laughs> a laptop, <laughs> and then one newspaper. Which day are you going to choose? Mm, I feel like you've thrown think. away your third wish. Yeah, I think that a newspaper is good. If the power's not there for my charge my phone, a newspaper's a good thing to have. Fine. Whatever day you were stranded is going to seem like Groundhog Day eventually. Yeah, well do. <laughs> Summer or winter? Winter. And most inspirational person in the world to you? Very, very difficult. I think Madeleine Albright, who basically said, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Nice. Credit card or cash? <laughs> Neither. Debit card. Oh, good answer. Music or podcasts? Podcasts. Do you listen to a lot of podcasts? Uh, Not enough, because I'm always reading. Okay, good answer. And I'm a really slow reader, which is why I (laughs) listen to so many podcasts. Fiction or non-fiction? Non-fiction. Okay, that is the end of the quickfire round. Thank you. So, and please can you warm us up by explaining what Starlink is, what makes it this special new cutting-edge bank service exciting the market? Starling is all about doing something really, really different for consumers and small businesses. We're a bank that's all about making your day-to-day banking very easy. We're all about being a new sort of relationship with your bank, very transparent, very engaging, I hope. And we hope we're actually building a bank that people enjoy using. It looks great as well, and you're proud to be associated with. 
So is it sort of like a personality cult behind a bank? Is that kind of how yeah, you feel no, about it? that's a good it? statement, actually. Um, yeah, from a technical perspective. It. Good, okay. <laughs> and from a technical perspective, we are the world's best current account, the world's best, you know, app, in my opinion. And um, we have all these wonderful features around your day-to-day spending. You've got a debit card, access to faster payments. We create lots of information around those transactions. And we help you um, manage your financial life by giving you insights, categorizing your spending, telling you where you spend your money, allowing you to control your card so you can turn it off and turn it on, um, setting goals for your future with little photographs that you can save for. We're all about making banking something that you can embrace, something that you can enjoy. And we do that for small businesses as well. So that's what we set out to do. But more than anything else is about a group of people here who are coming together to do the right things for customers. And would you say that on that basis, part of the draw is like UI, the UX? I mean, obviously, I've had a very solid play around on it. It's a very beautiful looking app. Is that really like are there signs around here about design? Is there, is yeah, that like we're designers, really we're ingrained? artists. We are. Right, okay. The thing about styling is bringing lots of different people from different backgrounds together to create something that's um, we're all very proud of. Refreshing. And, and yes, refreshing. Um, so you'll have an art director here, you'll have creatives, you'll have the finest engineers. And we're coming together to create something that's never been done before. We don't have departments. You don't have a technology department or a marketing department. We have people working in teams to create something in a very different sort of way that really taps into what really matters for people. Banking can be beautiful. Banking can be something that you you enjoy doing. And that's what we're trying to do at Starling. Well, For an industry that has not exactly covered itself in glory at all, I was going to say in the last 10 years, but what I mean to say is ever, what made you so passionate to start Starling? And the next part of that question is, did you find it bloody impossible to convince people at the start (laughs) that you were going to start a bank that wasn't full of the same old crap as every other bank that drove everyone mad in the first place? Yeah, well, after 35 years in traditional banking, I decided to quit my job to start a new bank. I'd been working in all the big banks and I was in some big banks during the financial crisis. And post-financial crisis, I spent a year out in fintech. And I realised that whilst I was worrying about you know, the internal mechanisms in a bank, post-financial crisis, the world had changed, people had changed. They were buying music differently, they were shopping on Amazon. Technology had changed. It was possible to build things very quickly and, and cheaply. And the regulators had changed. They'd introduced lots of new ways of doing things. And there were many small companies, fintechs, taking those ideas and putting them together and creating things that with 300,000 that I needed 30 million for in a big bank. So I took some of those ideas and and used them in AIB. And I was very successful. Some of those ideas gained great traction and we were very successful. But I wanted to go further. I wanted to take it to the extreme. I wanted to start from scratch. So I quit my job to start a bank. And what made you pick the name Starling? I mean, where are all the acronyms? Or is it one giant acronym? <laughs> no, it isn't. I just didn't want an acronym. Acronyms and banks. It's, it's normally... Yes, it's normally those banks that were put together, you know, over 300 years, mm. taking one letter from each or a bunch of people's surnames, men's surnames put together to create a bank name. 
starling is about, well, it's a very, very chirpy bird that actually goes out there and, and makes sure it's heard and sometimes, you know, sort of knocks the competition off that perch. Mm. And that's all about starling. We're quite confident. We talk a lot and we get things done. So how did you manage to go out to the market? Give us a little bit of um, a deep dive into the reality of what it's like trying to raise money as a female founder as a starting point in somewhere like London, which doesn't have an amazing track record, especially, I guess, when you were starting a lot better at the moment. What was that like? And then what was it like to try and find your leadership team, assuming that's where you did start? Yeah, well, I started Starling in January 2014. I quit my job in Ireland. I came back to London and decided I was going to start a bank. And I remember um, my first networking event in early January 2014. It was an event in the city that I'd been to several times before when I was a traditional banker. And there I was, post-crisis, wandering around in my Prosecco rather than champagne. And and somebody says, what are you doing nowadays, Anne? And I said, I'm starting a bank. And you could see them step back as they realised I'd probably, well, I was slightly crazy. Mm. uh, Because people do not start banks. And um, very, very rarely do new banks come into existence. Traditionally, it's a foreign bank opening a branch in London, or somebody already got billions deciding to implement a new proposition in London. So starting a bank was very, very unusual. So it wasn't unusual I was a woman, it was unusual I was starting a bank. And that started the journey of two years to raise money. And How much did you raise at first? Um, my first round was 48 million. 48 million. So not a small round. No. For two years, we did um, nothing. Okay, And I spent my time working out of the coffee bars, the executive lounges at big consultancies and lofts that I, you know, people loan me the edge of a desk. So it is pretty tough two years. Um, But little did they know. Little did they know. They'd have sold you a couple (laughs) of sandwiches with the coffees, maybe. So 48 million. And where did you get your funding from? I mean, that's obviously larger than a VC round, I presume. Yeah, it's quite difficult to raise the early rounds in for a bank. The bank funding is quite difficult to get. Most funds don't invest in banks and you can't get various tax uh, advantages for investing in in early banks. There's not much of a market because there aren't many banks. Uh, So the early stages, I would have help from the big consultancies. And then two years, I had my banking license ready and I was a approached by a somebody who knew a lot about data, a lot about technology and a lot about risk, who really believed in the idea and invested in Starling. So how did you find your first team then? Let's come on to that because it's been two years of fundraising. We, we, I mean, presumably you can't just be like, I'm Anne, I'm going to start a bank. And when I get my £48 million, pounds, I'm going to think about the first person I'm going to hire. It's probably all about the team you're going to yeah, hire. Yeah, I, I think that throughout the process, I had a number of people who were committed for the journey. I think there's a culture where we believe we can take people from all sorts of backgrounds and use all their strengths to create something even better. We believe that we hire people of strength rather than absence of weaknesses. So we have people that are particularly good at a number of skills. And when you put all these people together in a room, you can produce something awesome. And that's Starling. And, you know, to go a little bit further on that, how do you think your team would describe you as a boss? What kind of adjectives would they use? Energetic, happy, driven, hugely optimistic about a future for all of us, for the population as a whole, 
uh, for the company and for our customers. We see a future which is much better for consumers and small businesses because of Starling. And what do you think yourself defines a good boss? You've worked for a lot of bosses in the past. I mean, which ones have really inspired you? No, not which ones, because I'm sure you don't want to say that on (laughs) on audio. But I mean, what kind of traits did the ones have that really stood out to you? And what kind of things do you think you've emulated from what you've learned? I think that I've always respected bosses that could let people get on with it and could recognise what people are good at and not good at and let them get on with the things they were good at and provide coaching where in areas that they're not. I think that what's important for people is that they work with lots of different people in lots of different environments. We're not a command and control environment here. I'm not very good at structure. We'd much prefer to have people coming together to solve a problem than than sitting in a hierarchy. Sitting in a hierarchy is not fun. We all spend a long time at work. We all spend a long time in our careers. We have to do something that's meaningful. We have to do something we enjoy. And we have to do something where we can stand back years later and say that was really worthwhile, not just for me, but for society as a whole. And if you can't say those things, move on. And I always applaud people who realise that a career has to be built. And it is about going from one job to the next to build that career. I've worked in lots of different places, lots of different countries, doing lots of different things. And I'm able to build Starling now because of what I've experienced and what I've done. And that is how people build careers. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secret leaders. That's V-A-N-T-A.com slash secret leaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI. But until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. 
All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. And what do you think about the competitive environment? So um, without naming them, to my mind, there are three competitor startup banks, all competing with, of course, the larger banks who probably mistakenly just don't even recognize how much of a threat consumer experience actually is. How do you guys differentiate yourselves? And even is there like a secret council where you all decide you're going to take a different, <laughs> a different path to different customers? I mean, do you have entirely different customers you go after or is it all the same, just people looking for a different way? I think before I sort of answer that question, um, it's worth talking about the incumbent banks, the traditional banks. They do take notice of us. I think a majority of the CEOs, the big banks have been in this building sitting where you are today. The very senior levels. I felt like my seat was warm. <laughs> the very senior levels in the traditional banks know very well that the world is about to change. They know very well that they can copy every single app we create, but they cannot copy our cost base. And they stuck on cost bases which are too large and not agile enough to move with the new world. So they are taking us very seriously. If we now move on and talk about some of the new digital banks, all those banks are very different. Some have banking licenses such as ourselves. We are a true bank providing services to consumers, small businesses and other banks. We also have those that concentrate on certain sort of product set compared to others. Um, Some banks sort of focus on mortgages. Some banks focus on foreign exchange products. Our focus is current account banking for consumers and small banks. Where do you see it going in the next five to 10 years? I know you're going to have obviously a very specific roadmap, but rather than getting too technical, what are the overarching ambitions of where you want to take it? Well, of course, we want lots of people to be losing Starling all over the world. Um, You know, our first objective is definitely the UK, where we're looking for millions of customers to be using us in in the near future. We are focusing on small businesses. Uh, We're also applying to something called the RBS Remedies Fund, which is a fund that's been set up post-crisis toward, well, basically grants to banks that are going to be prepared to compete in the SME sector. And that's something very important to our our strategy. And then Europe. Um, I used to run a business across 34 countries. Um, Starling's only in one country at the moment. We have a lot of aspirations to go across Europe very fast. You must be bored only operating a bank (laughs) in the UK. Uh, You know, just something you said there about uh, operating SMEs. Do you sort of see it as your role to potentially become like the startups bank? I'd love to be the startups bank. It's something we have quite an affinity for. We were a startup once. We're now four years into that journey, nearly five years into that journey. But I know what it's like to go into a bank and say, I'm doing a startup, can I open an account? And they say, come back in three weeks' time. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be more competition from the big four entering into your space, or do you see more sort of partnerships going on? I think this is quite a complex question, because we're a new bank, and we're a fintech, and people think that we should be partnering with banks, but we're a bank. If I try to explain how the, the industry is structured, uh, you have the traditional banks, and at the moment, they're under pressure to open up their APIs to let other organizations use some of their customer data. So all the banks are under legislative pressure to make sure that happens. And then you have a whole industry of fintechs that are consuming these APIs. 
So we are in exactly the same boat as those other banks. The interesting thing is, together, the fintechs, the banks, working together can create solutions that customers have never seen before. And that's the power of cooperation. Interesting. So uh, do you view yourselves as a platform almost? More yeah. Than thing? If you think of Starling's model, we have a, we offer consumer banking, uh, we offer SME banking. We then offer to our customers in both sectors products from other providers on our marketplace. And just like Amazon, actually, that's opened up its infrastructure, we've opened up our infrastructure to other banks, other fintechs, and even the government. So um, we built a technology platform from scratch. And as well as serving our own customers, we are triggering a whole change in, in the ecosystem by opening up our infrastructure to let our competitors also compete against the big boys. Okay. So that all sounds like in four years a absolute ridiculous amount of work to have (laughs) achieved um so a you must be very proud but also on the flip side just taking a personal note here um how has that um rocket ship growth actually affected you you know how different is it um from you've obviously held very senior positions at really senior banks and have probably had a in its own way a ton more pressure on you at times anyway but how does the pressure feel different does it is it the same can you even compare the two it's very different. Um, I never realised that being an entrepreneur, running your own business, would be so different. I'd spent a whole career in big jobs, in big banks, with thousands of people. But being an entrepreneur, starting your own business, it's so much more personal. Every single person in Starling, I have a personal responsibility to. Every decision here somehow is down to me. And I hired the people that make the decisions or I bought the sofa outside the office or I can't blame anybody else. I can't blame my predecessors. I can't blame something else. It's a huge personal responsibility for why we do things and how we do things. I think a nice difference between you or being rather someone who has so much specific industry experience is, you know, as a founder of a tech company myself, you know, when people ask you questions, I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like, I've literally got no idea. Like, that's why I hired you. Whereas in your case, with your experience, you know, people come to you, you can't exactly say that. You're like, well, yeah, I've got a pretty clear idea. (laughs) So at least that probably gives you a lot more confidence uh, to make these decisions. Do you find it lonely? Did you? No, um, I think it's quite different stages. So I was working in a big company with lots of people and a huge ecosystem. And then you're on your own. And you're on your own in Starbucks. And you're on your own in Starbucks with your laptop and you sending people emails for meetings. And all of a sudden, you're not Dan Bowden, senior XX from so-and-so. You're an entrepreneur and you're asking for money. You're convincing people to do something. You have an idea. But the great thing from that particular point is it only gets better. The following day, there's two of you. You've grown 100%. That's great. The following day, maybe four people. You know, you we're here first as 100% daily growth, <laughs> darling. Yeah. <laughs> we're in a situation where, unlike other founders, as we grow, as Starling gets bigger, you know, I get more and more into my comfort zone. 
being on my own is pretty scary. Being in the situation and we're having 220, 250 people here is beginning to get bigger. But, you know, we're going to be big one day. We're going to be providing this service to lots of people and therefore it's going to be very interesting. You know, usually we speak to co-founders, which is very common. So who do you cry to secretly in the office when there's just a horrific day or do you just have like a empty seat which is like an imaginary (laughs) friend (laughs) um i think i'm very open i think that most people know whether i'm having a good day or a bad day i think that i bring my you know my whole self to the office i love every minute of it i am so so fortunate to be doing what I'm doing at the moment. So few people have the chance to reinvent the industry they've spent their career on. I spent 30-odd years in traditional banking, learning all the problems, understanding what worked and what didn't work, entrenched in an industry that couldn't reinvent itself. And I decided to quit that and start again from scratch. I'm having the time of my life because I'm able to do things in a way that's great for customers, that's easy to deliver with the very, very best technology. It's stressful times, you know, in the difficult times, earning sort of raising money and getting through the, the low points. But the upside of doing what we're doing at the moment is so, so fulfilling. Very fair literally can't get a a down moment out of Anne. she's been smiling since she came in (laughs) and people don't usually have that reaction to my face (laughs) well more on you now so what does a typical day look like for you i come in quite early into the city Uh, i arrive quarter to seven in the morning in the city go into a coffee shop and spend the first hour answering emails with a cup of coffee, round the corner. I then pop into the office by, say, eight. And then the first thing I do when I come through the door is sit next to one of the engineers who is looking at what's been happening overnight. And we chat. We chat about what's going on. Make my way to the end of the, end of the office and figure out what the day is going to look like. And a typical day for me would be talking to the customers who perhaps have written to me and I give them a call. It would be talking to a regulator about our plans for the future, Um, talking to the press, making a podcast, going out and doing presentation in the evening. Every day is action-packed and I'm very, very fortunate that it's so action-packed and interesting. What do you do on the weekend to relax then? You know, just completely switch off over the weekend. Are you able to do that? No. Look, I'm in a very, very... If it makes you feel better, very, no one says yes. No, no. <laughs> many, many people are not as fortunate as I am to be able to do this. Saturday and Sundays, I go to a different coffee shop at seven o'clock and do my emails. Yeah, this is fantastic. I'm really into looking at the newspapers, figuring out what's happening in the world. I think all organisations, all firms, all banks are part of a whole economy and we shouldn't consider ourselves bystanders on that. We have to actually take an interest and see what we can do to help. Do you get much time to do reading? Yeah. What kind of things do you read? Give us some recommendations. Yeah, what am I reading at the moment? I'm reading a book called High Growth Companies, mostly nonfiction. 
And I've You're worried if you were reading a fiction called High Growth Companies. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'll probably read two to three books a week. Read? Yeah. Not listen? No, read. Oh, that's quite impressive. Must be an extremely fast reader. I try and keep up with that, but it's listening, which means that I get out and walk places, but I don't know how... I read. Yeah, that's impressive. Okay. That's probably a new a new high for okay. any guest um, <laughs> to give you some idea. How would your friends and family members describe you? And um, do you feel like you need to put a game face on at work? I can clearly see the answer no, to that. No, is no, this is me. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but how would your friends and family describe you? I think they describe me as being very engrossed in my work. I think they describe me as having the time of her life in her work. That's not just for Starling. I think I enjoy what I do. And I think I talk about my work a lot and how we are changing things. And they're very, very good. They don't yawn or get bored too often. Which is a first for anyone talking about (laughs) banking to family members. Just because knowing that our listeners are either leaders in their own right or aspiring leaders. Just to be clear, you know, to have had a career like yours, so forget Starling for a second, I know you can't, but to have had a career like that for so long, it would be... I guess, almost obvious to suggest that you've had to sacrifice a ton along the way. So what kind of things do you think you have sacrificed along the way? Just to give people perhaps some sense that, you know, you can't literally have it all to have climbed to these heights. You know, what kind of things do you think have had to make way? Yeah, I think I don't segment my life into compartments. I only do things I enjoy. Now, that seems very odd, perhaps, but... I have no intention of doing things I don't enjoy and therefore I have learnt over the years to give myself permission not to clear out the cupboards or to be in while somebody delivers something, that I can choose how to spend my time and I have chosen to spend my time doing something which is intellectually interesting for me and that I'm terribly involved in. So I don't think I've given up anything that matters. I love what I do. And I know it's awfully cool to say you love your job as much as I do. But I tell the truth. Okay, this last section is actually is going to be a hard one for you. Um, because we're going to try and talk about lessons through failures and tough moments. Yeah. Let's start positively. To get to where you have done, you're going to have to have some people that inspire you all around you, people that you look up to. So um, can you tell us um, one or two people that really have inspired you that you've looked up to professionally in your career? The one person I could mention is a lady called June Drury. June Drury was my leader through the 9-11 very traumatic events where she was chief information officer for Aon Corporation on the day that we lost 2,000 desks and 200 lives in the World Trade Centre. And her leadership on that day, as we grappled with putting the organisation back together again, is something I've always looked up to. Have you ever been given advice that's really stuck with you throughout your career? Yes, and it was really, really bad advice. And it has <laughs> supercharged <laughs> my career since then. In my very first appraisal, in my very first job, my boss told me I should tone down my aspirations, otherwise I will get very frustrated. 
does not sound like a good leader in any respect. Exactly. So I didn't tone down my aspirations and I made sure it fired me through the subsequent years. Okay, good. So what, <laughs> let's go the flip side then, getting a vibe um, of the kind of advice you give people. What is the kind of advice that you, you would give to our listeners or our, uh, our audience in general and other entrepreneurs? What do you say to them to inspire them? You can't have a script. People recognise what's the truth. I think that people have to detect what's genuine. And I think you should only tell the truth to people. You should never lie to people. You need to be completely straight. But I think you also need to tell people there's certain sorts of things you need to do to have a good career. You need to work for a boss who likes you. If you work for a boss who doesn't like you, quit and get another job. Okay? You need to be in an environment that actually supports your strengths. You know, avoid the boss that tells you to fix your, your weaknesses. Great things are done when individuals work to their strengths. And the advice I give people that are doing entrepreneurial things is never give up. It all feels pretty horrible until you get your first investor, but you only need one. And ideally the same one as you, because deep pockets. Um, <laughs> well, unless unless that was all of his pockets going. Um, what is the toughest moment that you can share with us in, in light of uh, always be honest? You're yeah. building a bank. Absolutely no one is going to assume that that's been clear sailing, despite it being four years and you're achieving a lot fast. But it must have been, it doesn't actually have to have been through Starling, but what has been the toughest moment in your career? And how did you deal with it personally? I think the toughest moment in my career is when, I think, and I referred to 9-11 before, which was really a, a horrible experience, but a learning experience. I think that the toughest moments in my career was when I had to make a decision to move on in order to get the satisfaction and the career advancement I really craved. I think that I'm not very patient. I don't hang around if I'm not going to make a difference. And sometimes you have to decide you're not going to make a difference. The climate's not right. You have to quit and move on. Okay. Last question for you before we wrap up. It's going to be a tough one for you, but you're not allowed to answer I don't know or nothing. Starting is obviously a very big part of who you are now, but let's just say in some wonderful circumstance, you get the perfect exit and you're delighted with the people and the leadership team that takes it on. You don't seem like the type that would stop. So what do you think you would do after Starling in the ideal scenario where you're happy with how it's been left? I don't think any bank could be better than Starling, so I couldn't start another bank. But I'd love to do something next for the next business, which is far more creative. I'd like to do something in artificial intelligence and fabric design. I know it seems rather weird, but I think the next business has to be so different to Starling. Mm. And do you think there's a good shot you might actually do something else? Do you feel like that serial entrepreneur bug in you? I've got a long way to go with Starling yet. Starling's at the start. We have many, many years of growth ahead of us. And then something different. But at the moment, I'm here for the long term. I want to experience and enjoy, you know, the growth, the new customers, the new countries, the new products, the new technology. I think banking is at a very, very important stage. Things could be very different in future. 
and I'm excited that Starling is going to be at the very, very leading edge of this technical innovation and giving huge amount of new tools to customers that improve their financial health. Awesome. Well, here is to 100% daily growth every day, <laughs> cryptocurrencies and launching in 34 countries tomorrow. Thank you very much, Anne. Thank you. Next week on Secret Leaders. Press comes to us for comment on stuff. I think if you could become a voice for something, you do get a lot of free media. That would be one tactic I would suggest. The other, of course, is to get sued. <laughs> that raises your profile quite a lot. That was Justine Roberts, the founder of Mumsnet, which you've probably all heard of, but you may not have heard of some of the ridiculous stories and pressures she had to go through to build it into one of the world's best-known communities and one of the world's most reputable brands. She put a lot on the line to get it there, and although she has a serious work ethic, she's also up for a bit of a laugh too, as you'll discover. So, tune in, or you'll miss out. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It was brought to you by your host, that's me, Dan Murray-Serta, producer, Rich Martell, edited by Harry Morton of Lower Street Media, and if you've heard this, it'll probably have something to do with Jennifer Osman in Canada. You'll also notice throughout this series, we've got some beautiful illustrations made for every episode, and that's all thanks to Christina Naru of smartupvisuals.com. You can check out show notes, transcripts, and our upcoming Secret Leaders live events on secretleaders.com. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe on whatever media player you use. Just follow us at Secret Leaders on Instagram or at Secret Leaders One on Twitter. And tell just one friend about how freaking awesome this episode is. If you want to go the extra mile, I'm at Dan Murray Serta on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we'd love to see you take some screenshots of the episode you're listening to and share it across your social media. It'll bring a tear to our eye and joy to our hearts. See you next week. Tune in or you'll miss out.